Hello and welcome to TGI Season 1, Episode 7. My name is Rich Creswell. I am your host, interviewer, accidental podcaster, despite my protests. Thank you all so much for listening, and thank you all for coming to our weekly Zoom readings, which are on Friday nights. You can find out all the information you need to have about those on Twitter at TGICast. You can also search TGICast on YouTube to watch our past ones. I'm very excited about today's interview. In fact, this will have to be the first two-parter, because listening back to it, I think the background for this particular writer is very important. And we eventually get into the deep waters, talking about poetry, talking about expression, talking about colonialism, all sorts of huge topics about a half hour in. Now, I still am committed to not drowning people in podcasts because I do not appreciate podcasts when they are an hour long or two hours long or some people, heaven forbid, three hours long. There are podcasts out there that literally take days. I assume. I haven't looked. Anyways, uh, my guest today, Lawrence Epel, is uh, originally from the Philippines, now a professor in Singapore, and his story is fascinating. We talk about his origins, um, we talk about discovering writing sort of a little later than some other people, as well as the benefit of age and experience when it comes to going to graduate school. Uh, the first half of our conversation was wonderful. The second half of our conversation, I would argue, even better. So I'm thinking that's going to come out next week. And then I have all sorts of other people lined up. Um, really appreciative for everyone being so generous with their time. So, thank you. Without further ado, uh, I'm going to read Lawrence's bio, and then we will go have a speak to him. Lawrence Epel is a poet and essayist from Cebu, Philippines, and a recipient of the prestigious Annie Ng Dangal Award in 2019. He has an MFA in nonfiction writing from the University of Iowa and an MFA in poetry from Washington University in St. Louis, which he received on a Fulbright scholarship. His first book of poetry, The Highest Hiding Place, 2009, was given the Madrigal Gonzalez Best First Book Award, and his work has received numerous awards, including the Academy of American Poets Prize, the Philippines Free Press Awards, and the Don Carlos Palanca Memorial Awards. His work explores the intersection of text and image, poetry and prose, and the role of material culture in the construction of cultural memory and identity. He teaches creative writing at Yale and U.S. College in Singapore. His latest book, The Experiment of the Tropics, Poems, is available now and is well worth it. It was a finalist for the 2020 Lambda Literary Awards and longlisted for the Believer Book Awards. Let's go talk to Lawrence. Yeah. So for you, I, I was looking a little bit about your, your background, and uh, I saw that you originally had been going to medical school. That's right. Yes. Mm. Um, so was that like the plan from when you were very young? Was this like a... <laughs> I'm just curious. It, 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 was, it, it was more like, well, well my, my, my dad's a doctor. So, so it, was, it was that kind of, of, of setup, you know, when, when you grow up in, a, in an environment where that was the kind of default path, mm -hmm. right? Um, uh, dad was a doctor. A lot of our family friends were also you know, doctors and families of doctors. So mm -hmm. it was, that was the kind of environment I grew up in. Many of the, my older, the older family friends, you know, they all took pre-med, 
went into med school. They're actually all doctors now. So in a way, um, it's good because like every single part of my body probably is covered by <laughs> by a family friend, you know. Um, so so I so so we we haven't really had to worry too much about insurance or <laughs> or having to pay too much, knowing that there was someone to call. Um, yeah. But that was that was the environment growing up. Um, I, I grew up in in uh, Cebu City, which is in the central part of the Philippines. It's it's the second city to Manila, but most of the just to give context, maybe most of the cultural production in the Philippines really comes out of Manila. Mm. You know, so TV shows, books, um, um, anything that that's yeah, the movies they're they're all centered in Manila. So when you grow outside of it. Um, you're, you're exposed to it, you consume it, um, but I don't think you really grow up. While you're fascinated with the city, you're also kind of intimidated by it. Um, and you definitely do not think of yourself as a potential kind of, mm. you know, producer of it or participant of it. Um, this might be a long-winded way of answering your question, but the plan was, like all parents, you know, the plan was to, to obey <laughs> To obey that that preset rule, um, that was the default plan, and I'm I'm not very brave. So, the idea of being a writer or an artist um, was definitely, you know, I felt like that needed a leap, and it does need a kind of like leap. Um, and until you're ready to do it, or you're you feel desperate enough to do it. Um, then one kind of like falls back on on the plan. It's really easy in life to sort of default to, or or maybe even the word might be retreat to what you feel like you're supposed to do, like yeah. do yeah. what's expected of you rather than maybe explore even, like let alone knowing what you want to do. Like you don't even sometimes, or at least I haven't. Did you get into like medical school proper or was it pre-med where you shifted? So, um... I, I I went through pre med actually. So I, I, I moved to Manila for, for undergrad. I, I did biology there. I did pre med. Mm. Um I, I finished it. Um but, but mm. that was also when I started discovering that I really, really liked to write. Mm. So so also undergrad was where I I met teachers who were writers. I was in Manila and the idea of being a writer was suddenly a reality. Um, my, my first teacher was a journalist and, event, you know, he was a poet too. All through undergrad, I was already writing, um, but, never, but never really fully committing. Um, so I, 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 I'm, I'm a good son, um, <laughs> or I was a good son at least. Um, so, so I followed, followed the path, uh, went to medical school, and actually stayed there far much longer than either I expected or I should have. I actually reached my fourth year. I was oh, very wow. close to finishing it. Um, so I was I was already on my fourth year. Um, I think we were called clinical clerks then, but we were already working in the hospital. And I, I went through the more difficult rotations. So it was it was obstetrics for me and pediatrics and um, and and so yeah, I, I I can still help someone give birth. I think if if I'm forced to, <laughs> um, um, I I have to say I was not the best 
medical student. So, so I, I, you know, like I, I would barely pass the exam. So it was quite a miracle that, that I reached the fourth year, honestly. And I wasn't a whiz at inserting IV and doing all that practical stuff, right? So, so I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't the best. And I feel like if I had stayed, I might have, you know, probably gotten a medical malpractice suit. <laughs> Right. So, so in in many ways it worked out. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I I was there, very close to the end, and hospital work gave me a sense of the kind of work that doctors do, and then I realized that I did not want to spend the rest of my life working in hospitals, um, and in as much as I was in awe of, of doctors and what they had to go through, I really felt like it wasn't the kind of way I wish to contribute to the world. I, I, I made the leap when, when, when I was there. So yeah, yeah, that, that, that's where things happen. That's amazing. I mean, that's, yeah. that's very courageous too, to get that far into something and then walk away from it in, in favor of what you feel like you whether you believe there are things we're supposed to be doing or not, you know, internally, like things we were born to do, it's very, it's still a big deal to just follow that impulse to be sort of think, you know, I don't, this is not what I want for the rest of my life. Maybe this is and just go and because I'd say, um, certainly in the view of most parents, there would be no greater opposites than like, <laughs> doctor, you know, steady income, training, professional degree, to just sort of this nebulous idea of being a writer like that's those are very sort of opposing so uh so you ended up eventually coming to the states to do a couple degrees is that right yeah yeah so i i, I took a while too to before i decided to get my mfa so i so the the narrative is left med school um returned to cebu um and then I decided to to teach for a while in, in Manila. So I, I did spend a few years in Manila. I spent most of my 20s there. Um, they were, I mean, they were great blurry years. Um, <laughs> um, as I think all, you know, the 20s, that's what it is. You know, 20s is what it is. And I found it, uh, it, was, it was so good. Um, my closest friends are still friends that I met during that time. Yeah, and, and Manila is, is, is an exciting place, I think, to be, to, to discover oneself. I think like all big cities, it, it offers mm. the kind of choices and it makes you, that, that, that makes life interesting and it makes you meet people you otherwise wouldn't. So, so city life, you know, city life, big city life. Then, yeah, so that was most of my 20s. So I only, I only really did my MFA in my early 30s. Okay. So. Yeah. So in a way, I think MFAs these days are, are have become really quite young. Um, yeah, mm, people mm -hmm. people decide to go into it straight out of undergrad, and and I I liked the fact that I was a bit older um, doing grad school. Well, especially if you're working on, I, I would imagine at least if you're working on things like poetry and, and artistic expressions in writing, like you have more experience to draw on. You actually might, might have a point of view and might have a better understanding of yourself. And I feel like so often, at, at least from the people I talk to, here in America at least, it's sort of the master's degree is like the new college degree because we've reached a point where it used to be some people mm -hmm. didn't even graduate high school 
and then everyone started graduating high school and then it was some people don't even go to college and now everyone goes to college and now it's sort of the master's degree is the 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 new uh next step slash thing you're supposed to do if you are like a middle class upper class person so yeah i can imagine going in with uh 10 more years of life experience and maybe even you already had the benefit of knowing what you want to do with yourself and and i and i felt like i was I was already able to appreciate school as as nerdy as that sounds like I think when we're coming straight from undergrad we we are quite sick of school you know so so we we take it for granted but I think anyone who has had to 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 work <laughs> you know you you very quickly realize what a privilege it is to to, to study so that was that was so refreshing to to be in the classroom again to have conversations that one would never have in an office or in the grocery store you know like these kinds of lovely intense very useless conversations that are great to have in in the classroom and um and i've always admired um like when when i did grad school in the us i got the sense that people were not too concerned with how old you were in you know when you studied i think there was a a great variety of ages in in a way that i think in other countries things are quite set and and people like to think that after a certain age mm. one shouldn't go to school but it was it was so it was really refreshing for me actually to to do grad school in the us to to have classmates that were older than me even um and and to know that it was the kind of space and people respected that that if you wanted to study um you you could do it if if you wanted to i and i i can imagine coming from the philippines to where where was your mfa i actually took two mfas the first one yeah i i did i did one in poetry that was the first one um and i it was in st louis so it was in yeah washington university in st louis which is known for its medical school I think. So I do remember telling my father that I was I got into WashU and, and his first reaction was like, "Oh, they have a great medical school." After <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. everything, you know, after after like all of that, your gut reaction was just like, "Oh, that's great. They're like they're probably top 5 medical school." And I was like, "Dad, I'm not going to the medical school." <laughs> <laughs> you sort of had to say like, Dad, we already did that. This is not. We're not doing that again. Yeah, yeah. But it is. It is one of the best. You know, it's one of the best medical schools in the U.S. So, uh, St. Louis was was two years um, there, and um, by the end of of that that second year, I knew I was already in love with the essay form. That there were that there were things with the essay that I knew I couldn't do with poetry. And I felt like the essay allowed me to relax. Hmm. Honestly, that's that's how I felt at, at that point. I, I I think my poetry is. I, I love writing poems that are tight. Um, I, I that that kind of thrill of like choosing the word, obsessing over punctuation is for me the thrill of poetry, which is really a kind of esoteric, intense mm-hmm. kind of pleasure, you know, with language. And I knew that was what really excited me about poetry but but i also felt that it was never really the form that i could laugh with um that um there was a side of me that i knew was i would like to think was was 
you know, funny and light and not too serious. And I, I knew I would not be able to write a poem from those those energies, you know. Yeah. Um, so, so the essay was really like, you know, that was eye opening for me. Um, the the personal essay, and especially the the hybrid experimental essay called the uh, it's called the lyric essay. And I knew that Iowa was sort of where the lyric essay was quite prized. Um, and um, by the end of that second year, I applied on a whim to Iowa. I was, yeah, I was also ready to go back to the Philippines then. And it was actually the only program I applied to. I was just like, if I don't get in, then that's that's okay. Like the, the original plan was to go back. Um, and then I remember getting that call. And, and Iowa is such a huge name in American writing. It's like, it's like, it's like the pilgrimage all writers wish to take, right? And and, sure. and, and I remember, uh, yeah, a dry, yeah, saying yes and checking the place out. And a friend of mine drove me to from from St. Louis to to Iowa City um, to, to check out housing uh, before you know, look for a place. And the drive towards, I mean, to small and smaller and smaller towns in the Midwest is. Um, I mean, I was like, where, where, <laughs> where am I? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's actually something I, w- I, w- I was going to say with even just going to St. Louis was I, I know, um, obviously, there's a uh, complicated history between the Philippines and America. Mm. Um, mm. And I know, so what I mean is that the culture wouldn't have been too much of a shock to you. There's plenty of exposure to American culture in the Philippines. Um, but how, what, was it just was it was there a culture shock? I guess would be the question. Yeah, um, yeah. culturally, yeah. Because um, I think when when you grow up watching watching media and pop culture, um, what you think of as the U.S. turns out to be pretty much maybe just the East Coast and the West Coast, right? Um, you you don't get a sense of its interiors. And 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 that that's where eye-opening things really really come out. Um, I mean, in a city like St. Louis is is also very rich in its history. I remember, and I don't know if this is a shock, but like jazz finally made sense to me only only when I was in the U.S. Um, <laughs> so I mean, I, one would listen to it. You know, growing up, one would listen to it. It was always there. Um, it didn't. I didn't realize it actually didn't make sense to me until I listened to it in St. Louis. Mm. Um, and it wasn't even like a live performance. It was just like it was. I think it must have been like a CD I picked up <laughs> that was being sold in the library across the street. So and and it it, it jazz suddenly made sense. Um, and so there, there must have been something with uh, the form and uh, the, the idea of improvisation, and it suddenly made sense that, that that kind of music would have come from this kind of city or, or this kind of country or this kind of culture. In terms of poetry, though, uh, what I really appreciated was the kind of ways in which poets in the U.S. were... We're using words, and I, I can't help but think of it as like, I feel like it's it's native. If if it's your first language, you're kind of able to rip it apart, in in ways that, 
I feel like as someone who studied it, I mean, I grew up, I grew up speaking and and listening to English, you know. So in certain ways, it is mm-hmm. my first language too. But but studying it out, you know, having it as like a second or a third language, there's some there's like respect to it, like you. You have to speak perfect English, or like it is this porcelain vase that you, you know, that will grant you a job if you really, really study hard, you know. And 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 to encounter the poetry that was coming from first language speakers, and and the capacity to and the the tradition of American poetry to like kind of rip it apart and and create something new, was was almost like the kind of permission that that. I felt I needed to 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 hear and say like you can you can break the vase you can you can really really like this yeah dismantle this this seemingly precious thing called language. Well, that that makes a lot of sense to me because you know I've read some whether it's poetry or or you know even just novels or something written in another language and. If you get a really good edition of something that's been translated, there will be huge amounts of notes, right? On this phrase was best translated from this phrase, which kind of means this, but no one would actually really say it. And, you know, all these sort of like detailed notes about language. And so it makes sense to me that seeing people take things apart like that, it's, you know, this is interesting. So I think that you are, you're the third person uh, that I've interviewed who speaks more than one language and who maybe your, was your language, your language at home was English or did they speak, is it Tagalog or? It's a, it's a mix of, um, so the language of the region I'm from is called Cebuano. Cebuano. Okay, Cebuano. Okay. Yeah, so so it, it's from the, the name of the city. So Cebu and then the language is Cebuano, okay. which is the language of, the central and southern parts of the Philippines. Okay. Uh, and then we learn the national language, which is mostly drawn from Tagalog. Okay. And then, yeah, and English is spoken in, in all schools. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. there's, yeah. so even actually just growing up in that country, it sounds like there's a complicated relationship to language already because there's yeah. multiple languages going on. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm wondering, did you have you? I guess the question is because I, I, I re- you know, I interviewed a poet from from Buenos Aires, uh, and <laughs> last week was a novelist from India originally. And the question I keep wanting to ask is, do you write in multiple languages? Uh, I, I, I don't. Um, yeah, English, English is the. I, I would, I, I can write in. It's a complicated lang- linguistic landscape i think um I, I i i suspect india might be similar where there is in in school you're mm. taught the grammar and and you're taught to write in in both the national language and the and english um and then at home if depending on where you live then home or home or the street would be whatever regional language might be there, if it's not Tagalog, right? So Cebuano to me is is really a, an oral language. I I I don't quite know what, what the proper spelling of some words are. I, I, I'm not schooled in the in the grammar of it. So it, it's it's an oral language to me. Um, so I don't write in it. And 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 Tagalog was you know the the joke is that Cebuanos don't really speak Tagalog well, so and 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 there's that like there's that antagonism with the capital right the second city so that that's you know I grew up in that kind of like ah 
these Tagalog or like these people from Manila, you know. So like, yeah, grew, yeah. Now it's a bit. Now people are a bit more friendly. Um, but but I grew up where it was preferable for you to speak in English than it was for you to speak in Tagalog when okay. you were in Cebu, because like, no, no, we're not we're not speaking that national language. Hmm. So so English became almost this at least for me this fallback. Hmm. Um, where it too was a language of power and opportunity, um, uh, and in a way that, yeah. So it became it 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 was the written language, and in mm. many ways it's the it's the written language of a lot of, of of my friends, of of people who grew up where I did. Um, yeah, that we would write in English. Um, yeah. So the the unfortunate answer is that. I only write in English, Ridge. <laughs> that's okay. No, no, that's not an unfortunate answer at all. I actually, feel like, I feel like the politically correct term, you know, situation would have been that I do know Cebuano or Tagalog, and I gave it a shot, and <laughs> um, and maybe there's some guilt involved that I, I I don't write. So this is my guilt talking. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I actually the the best answer on this. I uh, I spoke to a couple weeks ago. Um, Juan Pablo Mobili, who's the, he's a poet from Buenos Aires originally. And he, oh. I asked him sort of the same question. You know, he grew up, his father was a poet and ran a poetry magazine in Argentina in Spanish. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and he lives in New York now. And I asked him, you know, do you write poems in Spanish? And he just said, he was like, I mean, I can, but where would I publish them? That was basically his answer was, you know, if what I'm trying to do is communicate with people and get it out there, Mm -hmm. I live in America. I have to do that in English. That's so, I mean, it's a very Mm -hmm. practical answer. And I think yours is too, in the sense that you have a, uh, maybe the Cebuano would be the Cebuano is the language of home, but it's not, it's not an academic language at all for you. Mm -hmm. It doesn't. And and not that poetry is necessarily academic or essays are, only done in universities or anything like that, but that's where you go to practice them. Yes. Um, and then, you know, Tagalog sounds more like it's, uh, it was a requirement more than anything else at the time. And yeah. And you don't really use it too much. In Um, in, in the diaspora though, um, uh, Tagalog does become the language, the default language for a lot of Filipinos, you know? Um, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Pinoy's in the U S um, when we're, when we're talking, so the, the Filipino community in the U.S. Um, is, is, so a lot of Cebuanos are kind of like forced to learn mm. Tagalog once they're <laughs> into the U.S., you know, like, uh, right. just, you know, yeah. a lot of people that, uh, the other Pinoys that they get to interact with uh, speak that language. Um, I, I learned to love it in, in Manila. So doing my undergrad there, most of my friends uh, are from Manila, so it's 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 a te- it's a it's an intimate language for me too. But yeah, but I I don't write in it. Um, yeah, I, I'm suddenly reminded because uh, there's a there's a old mall here, and it's known to be where a lot of Filipino helpers go to in 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 on Sundays on on the day off. Uh, so there's a huge mm. population of domestic help. That are Filipinas here, Filipino women, and uh, the, the the place is called Lucky Plaza. And um, when I miss uh, Filipino food, I I go to Lucky Plaza. Um, and and it and it. So I don't speak to to anyone in Cebuano at a regular basis where I work. 
but yeah, being there when I'm when I miss food and I'm 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 grabbing lunch or a dinner there, and then I hear it, um, and I'm and I'm moved by it. I mean, my my body mm-hmm. just reacts to it, and and that's when I really know that that it 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 is intimate language for me. Um, and whether or not mm. you know, like I don't know, I feel like. On one hand, there's the argument that we poetry is about intimacy, um, and that maybe it's more logical for me, more emotionally logical for me to write in Cebuano since that's my body's language. But there's, I also would like to think that that poetry is about distance, hmm. and then and there's for me an interesting, healthy distance to English that allows me actually to. To maybe play around with it, so it's for me, it's less a language that is in my body, and in certain ways, mm. it's this language that's in front of me. I think that allows me the kind of um, maneuvering or 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 wordplay that that I I find refreshing. I also feel like um, I don't know if this 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 might be of interest to you, but in terms of writing and 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 thinking about writing, I I feel like there are People who write very from a very young age, I I feel like I only really really fell in love with writing in undergrad. So much later. So I'm not. I'm in awe of writers who like wrote a novel when they're seven or like you know there are those people who like I you know songs songs come out of me since I was born and I'm just like wow you know um, <laughs> um, good for you. Um, so I, I I never really felt that writing and poetry was a matter of expression mm. hmm. um, more than anything I felt it was a space for play and a space for for trying out different combinations so I do feel that probably for those poets where it's very intimate and it's like I'm feeling something let I need to write about it Intimacy. So I think if I were like that, I would probably be writing in Cebuano. But because I think poetry is this kind of medium that I feel or material, then then it actually I would like to think that it makes sense that English is is where I enact some of those. Yeah, I mean, there's we've uh, something I've spoken with people about a lot is. There are essentially, there seem to be at least two kinds of writing or two kinds of writers, maybe, but I don't want to say that. But there's two two different types of writing. There's one is that expression where it's like, I know exactly what I'm feeling and I need to find the right words to put it into, or I'm just going to let it flow out of me. And then the other is kind of what you're talking about, I think, which is, well, let me think about something and then you can move the words around, change things around, and maybe in the end, figure out a little bit differently how you feel about something by doing exactly so. yeah and, and one would and one might even like i like how you describe it because one i feel like in really intense moments it's almost as if the emotion comes out of the words rather than mm. before mm-hmm. the words so one one almost feels like one stumbles upon the feeling that you suspected was there but you you didn't begin there when, when i talk to my students about this i actually I, I like to tell them it's what what I think is what it means to write with feeling rather than about feeling. You know, um, I, I'm thinking of like music. I used to play the piano and what it means to like play with feeling. Um, and even like notation notes would sometimes say, right, I don't know what, 
yeah, like like weird feeling. Um, <laughs> whatever that meant, right? Which really just meant like you just pressed the note a little bit more dramatically, or <laughs> yeah. Um, but I've always felt like you know the feeling was not in was yeah the the feeling was something you worked with, um, and that you could that it was something you played with, um, and you brought it to the you know so. I, I think I, I return to that framework when I write. Yeah. All right, there we have part one of my conversation with Lawrence Epel. Uh, part two will be coming out next Monday. Uh, I just want to say for every writer who's been very generous with their time and for every audience member who's been extremely generous with their time listening, there's a part two in every single discussion I've had. It remains to be seen what form those will take, but I will release them. If you have suggestions, please hit me up on Twitter. Uh, I am at Ridge, R-I-D-G-E, Cresswell, C-R-E-S-S-W-E-L-L. You can also just tweet at the show at TGICast, or you can tweet at the show's talent relations booker, scheduler, extraordinaire, Trina Thibodeau, at Trina Tibbs, T-R-E-E-N-A-T-H-I-B-S. You can also find uh, our Zoom reading archives, as I believe I mentioned at the top of the show, on YouTube. If you search TGI Cast, they'll come up under TGI Cast Live with the date and a list of the readers. Um, thank you all so much. We've seen enormous leaps and bounds in our listenership and viewership in the past few weeks, and we really appreciate it. This really is beginning to feel like something's happening, a community is being built, and you know, I, it's not that much effort. It's really worth it. I have gotten so much out of this. Selfishly, I get to talk to amazing people about incredibly interesting ideas and themselves, and hopefully you are getting as much out of it as I am. No, almost as much at least. Uh, For now, I think that's all we've got for this week. Tune in next week for part two of the interview with Lawrence Epel. And once again, sorry to hit you over the head with it, but please go check out our Twitter Find out about the weekly Friday readings. Come hang out an hour before, an hour afterwards. The reading is 8 to 9 Eastern time. We'd really love to see you there. Thank you so much for listening. Take care, stay safe, and we will virtually see you next week.